to idols. I'll stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory, with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing, and my soul will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. chapter 5 verse 13 and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped Christ be magnified amen for all eternity Christ be magnified. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're thankful that you are here. Take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, you may return to your seats and you may be seated. 
Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here. If this is your first time, uh, welcome. We are thrilled to have you. If this is your first time, if you will please let us know that. There's one of two ways you can do that. One, there's a QR code that you can scan in the bulletin, fill out a couple questions, or there's a connection card out there um, in the foyer. And, and since we got some kids coming, if we got some kids, you guys go ahead and come. Miss Rachel's up here. She leads our children's ministry. She's doing the children's sermon. I know what you're thinking, but pastor, it's not the last Sunday of the month. I know that, but we got something else next Sunday. And so any of our children that want to come, uh, come on up here and we'll get started in a moment. But if this is your first time, welcome. And if you would please let us know that. Look, I know we got a lot of new faces and, and you're like, man, I'm having a hard time remembering names. So, so Pastor Gary, um, they're out of town this weekend. They're up in Chattanooga visiting family and worshiping up there. They'll be back. But one thing that they did at their previous church that he recommended we do here, and I like it, is called Name Tag November. So in November, every Sunday, we will have name tags in your Sunday school class or out in the foyer. So when you come in every Sunday in November, if you'll just write your first name on a name tag, slap that on there, and if you don't know people's names, you have a month to remember without saying, hey, I've met you 20 times, but I can't remember your name. Can you tell me? So I thought that was a great idea. So that's name tag November. Right now, it's children's story time with the one and only Miss Rachel. So if you'll turn your attention up here. Good morning, guys. I'm going to try again. Good morning, guys. Good morning. There we go. Okay, so the last time we talked about our, we had our children's sermon, you guys were learning that the people on earth, what were they doing? They were sinning. They weren't being very good, were they? So that's where we're going to pick up. So I wish that I could tell you that it got a lot better, but did it get a lot better? No, it didn't get a lot better. It actually didn't get better at all. People were still sinning, and they were doing um, lots and lots of bad things, and they got to the bottom, and they were doing so bad, and you know, they say when you get to the bottom, the only way is what? The only other way is what? If you're at the bottom, you got to go up. Guess what? They didn't go up. They started digging and started going further downhill. That's not good, is it? No. So in this case, they started dodging raindrops. Does anybody like to play in the rain? Yeah. Yeah, I like to dance in the rain. I know Anna likes to jump in the puddles in the rain. Anybody else like to jump in puddles? Yeah. Yeah, it's so fun. The puddles that we're going to talk about today, though, were too big to jump in. Okay, so although the, the Lord loved the world, because it was his creation, right? He had made it. He did not love how worldly it had become. His, the people he saw that were created in his image had become very bad. Okay? Everything they were thinking about, everything they were dreaming about, it was really bad all the time, which was not a good thing. Do you all agree with that? That's not a good thing, is it? Okay, so you know what God did? He made it rain a lot like nonstop rain without a break for 40 days and 40 nights. 
okay? This was God's way of wiping away the sin from the world. Okay, so I want you to close your eyes. Okay, all the kids got your eyes closed. I want you to imagine this rain. Are you ready to imagine the rain? Close your eyes, and I want you to imagine the rain. Tell me if, if, you, can, if you can sense the rain. <laughs> Oh, you can feel the rain? You must have a really good imagination. <laughs> did y'all did y'all imagine the rain? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, God made it rain. So how do you think that we still have people on the earth? What did God do before it started raining? You may know. See my boat? God looked over the whole world, and he found one man who had found favor in God's eyes. And who was that man? Does anybody know? Noah. Noah, that's right, Noah. So Noah was righteous, and he walked with God. Now, does that mean that he and God walked through the parks together? No, it doesn't. It means that Noah did things the way God wanted him to do them, just like Adam was supposed to, but Adam messed up. Noah was doing things the way God wanted to. So before the rain came, God gave Noah an assignment. He said, make yourself an ark, not an arcade, not an architect, and definitely not an aardvark, but an ark, which is a really big boat. So I got this puzzle when I went to see the ark in Kentucky, and I put it together the other day. I thought it would be fun for today. Okay, so an ark was just a really big boat. Now, Noah made such a big boat that it had room for him and his wife and his three sons and their wives and two of every kind of animal on earth, even the aardvarks. Wow, I know. Okay, can y'all see the picture up on the screen? The picture has all the animals. It probably doesn't have all the animals, but it's got a lot of the animals. And how many do you see of each kind of animal? Two. Two of every kind of animal. That's right. Okay, and on the next page, it shows us, what do you see? You see the ark. You see the water from the flood. God flooded the world. But what about that boat? Are the people and animals on that boat safe? Yeah, because God sealed the door and kept them safe. All right, so when Noah had been on the ark for almost a year, he sent out some birds. First, he sent out a raven and then a dove, and finally, the dove did not return to the ark. The first birds returned, but the dove did not return. Noah waited a bit longer and sent a teeny bit more, and eventually, after more than a year of being cooped up in a great big floating chicken coop, Noah and his family and all the animals, even the chickens, got off the boat. And then, you know what God did? And this is pretty amazing. God did something brilliant. He hung a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his covenant with Noah. Okay, a covenant is like a promise. Okay, and he said that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. So the Lord was starting over again with a new family in his dried-out world, right? So should we try our best to be like the people that died in the flood, or should we try our best to live the way that God wants us to live like Noah did? 
<coughs> yeah, we should try our best to live the way that God wants us to live like Noah did. Okay, let's pray real quick. Ready? Dear Heavenly Father, I just come to you this morning, and I am so thankful for all these children that are up here, and I am so thankful for your promise that you will never again destroy the um, earth with a flood. Um, and I just pray, God, that you will just help us to remember um, that we should be walking and striving to live the way that you um, instruct us to live through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. 
Amen, amen. Verse 8 of Psalm chapter 3 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our children are going to make their way out to Children's Church. So we got our pre-K 3 and 4 class, and then we also have our kindergarten through second grade. So you all make your way out there. Everyone else, if you will take your copy of God's Word, and I do hope you have a copy of His Word, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We have been in Ephesians for well over a year, and we will be there probably uh, all of November and maybe into December and even into January of next year as we work our way very slowly through these verses. Um, last week, if you were with us, or maybe this is your first time with us. So last week we looked at God's word that he has for children. So children have a responsibility. That's Ephesians 6 verses 1, 2, and 3. And he provides two commands for children. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And the second is honor your father and mother. So children, you have a responsibility. But parents, we're not off the hook. Because there is a verse 4 in God's scriptures. And verse 4 is a word to parents. Parents, we have a responsibility. So last week was a message for everyone because everyone is a child of someone. You are a son and a daughter. The message this morning is to parents. And the reality is some of you in this room, you're not parents. Uh, you're five years old or you're 16 years old or maybe, right, you're married and the Lord will for you is never to have children, and so you're not parents. Um, maybe your children are all older, and you're not actively trying to rear your children at this point. And so here's my encouragement to you. If you're not a parent, just to be in a spirit of prayer for parents in the room. If you are done raising your kids, praise the Lord. Anybody want to amen that? Hey, there you go. I hear you. Um, be in prayer. For those who are in the thick of it, whether that's a one-year-old or whether that's a 16-year-old. So just hear God's word and just be in prayer um, for those of us who, who have children. Just as I said when I preached on marriage, that there are other people who probably knew more than I did and had figured out more, the same is true for parents. Some of you in here could probably teach and preach and instruct more on this verse than I possibly could. But by God's grace, here we are. So if you'll please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Notice there are two commands that he gives to, to parents. We're going to begin in verse 1 just so you can see the context and we'll read through verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. One pastor I read this week said, Some days I think success in parenting equals keeping my children out of prison. <laughs> On other days, I think success is keeping myself out of prison. Listen, parenting isn't easy. It's not easy. It's hard. Just as marriage is hard and difficult, so parenting is hard and challenging. And I don't know about you, 
But personally, I wish God had given us more than one verse. He gave a lot for marriage. I wish he would have given me a lot more on parenting. But in his goodness, in his sovereignty, he gives us one verse that basically captures right, his heart and what he wants to say to us. So parenting isn't easy, but hear me, it's possible. What I don't want to happen is for parents to leave here feeling discouraged and defeated. Now, that may be a part of it. Maybe in listening to this and some of what we talk about, you're going to say, man, I failed. And it's too late. I can't fix it. Maybe your, your kids are now eight and you're like, man, I haven't done what I've wanted to do. And, and so now there's time for you to fix it. But, but what I want you to leave feeling is that there's hope. It is possible to live out Ephesians 6 verse 4 because let me remind you the context of this. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about how we are not to be drunk on wine, but we are to be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. He's talking about spirit-filled living. And spirit-filled living means you and I can parent this way. So if you're a follower of Christ, a believer in Jesus, you've given your life to him, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You're not doing this alone. God himself indwells you, therefore it is possible. So let's jump right in. Command number one, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now right off the bat, we have to pause. He says fathers. Fathers. Now you need to understand, he mentions in chapter or verse 2 that their children are to honor your father and mother. So when he says fathers, moms, that doesn't mean you're off the hook. Like, whoo, I can provoke my kids to anger, but honey, you can't, right? That's not the point. This applies to both fathers and mothers, but the emphasis is on fathers. So then we have to ask the question, why? Just a couple thoughts. There's certainly more. One is we have to consider the culture of the day in which Paul is writing. It was a Roman culture. It was a Roman culture that dominated, including the area of Ephesus, where many of these Christians were, many of them maybe pagans, Romans, who've now given their life to Jesus. And in the Roman culture, the Latin, and I'll probably botch this, is patria potestis. It means power of a father. The father in Roman culture had ultimate and complete power. Listen to William Barclay in his commentary. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands, for the law was his own hands, and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. The father had complete control. If the father had a child and didn't want the child to live, the father could just end the child's life. And there's nothing the law could do because he had ultimate control. The Roman historian Seneca wrote this. Just speaking of children in general, we slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into sickly cattle lest they taint the herd. Children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown. That was the mentality in the Roman culture. So you have to understand, Paul is writing to this mindset, but now writing to believers who have been saved out of this. John Stott has a great summary. He says the picture that Paul paints here of fathers is one of self-control, gentle, patient educators of their children, and that is in stark contrast to the norm of his own day. So one reason why I think he says fathers is because of the culture, but here's the other reason. 
Because he's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul understands and he has been taught the impact that fathers specifically have in the home spiritually. This is in no way, ladies, moms, to diminish your work. Ryan is what holds our family together. I mean, I, I mean she's, like, she's the rock. She's incredible. But when it comes to the spiritual things, men, just as in marriage you are to lead, so it is for the home. So several years ago, Focus on the Family did a study, and I heard this in a sermon, and it blew me away. They looked at the family during the child-rearing years. And here's what they found. If in the child-rearing years that the first one in the family to become a Christian is a child, then the likelihood of the entire family being Christian is 3%. So if the child is the first one to come to faith in Jesus, 3% chance that everyone else in that family will become a follower of Christ. If the first one to be a Christian is the wife, then the likelihood of the entire family being Christian is 17%. If the first one to be a Christian is the husband, then the likelihood of the entire family being Christian is not 3%. It's not 17%. You ready for this? It is 93%. That is the impact that a father can have if he gives his life to Jesus and then leads his family to love Jesus. And so Paul says, fathers, do not, here's the first command, in the negative, do not provoke your children to anger. That word provoke means to irritate or cause someone to become quite angry. So don't irritate, don't cause your children to be angry. Now here's the reality, sometimes our kids um, will not like the rules that we as parents set. They get angry when they have the consequence or we have to discipline them because they broke the rules. Like they huff and they puff, they slam the door, they're angry. They get frustrated. That's not what Paul has in mind here. He's not speaking to the occasional outburst of anger. What Paul has in mind here when he says don't provoke them to anger is this. He's speaking of a parenting style that's done with the wrong spirit and the wrong motives that causes frustration and anger within our children. Because our discipline is with the wrong spirit and the wrong motives. You remember in Ephesians earlier in the book, he talks about how be angry and do not sin. We talked about how there is a thing called unrighteous anger. He goes then to say this, give no opportunity to the devil. Parents, if we parent in such a way that it causes our children to get angry, like they can never measure up, they can never please us, they can never get it right, it's always a failed attempt. They become angry, and in that state of anger, they're giving Satan a foothold to do more damage. And so we cannot parent that way. Now, in the parallel passage in Colossians 3.21, it adds a little bit more to this. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So there is a way, fathers and mothers, that we can parent that angers our children, but also in a way that discourages them to where they lose heart because they just can't measure up. They can never get it right. So hear me, moms and dads, don't abandon your responsibility, but also don't abuse your responsibility. Ryan and I just this past week had our first classes to be foster parents. 
We've, we fostered in, in Florida, and we're beginning that process again. So come January, maybe end of December, there'll be a few more little ones running around the Hornsby household. Look, there is so many kids coming into foster care because there are parents who have abandoned their responsibility or they are abusing their responsibility. You and I, as followers of Christ, are to do neither. So don't parent in a way that causes discouragement or anger, which begs the question, what are some things, parents, that we can do that would cause our children to get angry or discouraged? So I've got several for you. We'll go through these quickly. The first one is if we are overly harsh or abusive. Now hear me. Discipline is biblical. Absolutely biblical. But we are never to discipline when we are angry or have lost self-control. And I dare say, including the man in this pulpit, that we have all disciplined when we were angry and had no self-control. And in that moment, we can become overly harsh or, God forbid, even abusive, going beyond the limits of discipline because we're angry. Martin Lloyd-Jones asked a question I read this week, and I wrote next to it, ouch. He says, parents, what right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? So if you are angry and your child needs discipline, the best thing for you to do is to walk away. And then when the Spirit has helped you gain control, to then come back and discipline. Parents, another way that we do this in being harsh or abusive is if we are overly critical. We criticize sometimes our kids, but do we praise them? We see them doing what they shouldn't do, but do we catch them doing the right thing and praise them for doing the right thing. Martin Luther obviously had a rough upbringing, and so I love what he says. He says, spare the rod and spoil the child. Absolutely, that is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give to him when he has done well. Yes, we discipline, but we also must encourage when they get it right. And I read this this week, and this convicted me. What if God dealt with us the way that we deal with our children? What if God dealt with us the way that we deal with our children? And so if we're overly harsh, overly critical, even abusive, right, that, that causes them to be angry or to be discouraged. Number two, showing favoritism. Here's my word, don't. Do not play favorites. You may have a kid that's more like your personality or likes something that you like and maybe you just naturally can relate to them more, but your children, if I were to walk up to them and say, hey, does your mom and dad have a favorite? Now they may say yes just to throw a little pity party, but in their heart, they should not be able to say my parents play favorites. That's how you discourage them. It's how you cause them to be angry. The third one, comparing children. Here's my word, don't. It's not fair to them. Well, why can't you sing like your sister? Why can't you get better grades like him? Why can't you hit the ball like him? You cannot compare them because it discouraged them. Every single one of us know how different our kids are. Malachi and Landon are so different. Landon loves sports. It'll take a miracle of God if Malachi ever likes sports. <laughs> Watch him on the soccer field. He's got no interest. 
So I love sports, right? Malachi may be into something different, but we, you can never compare because they're different. God has created them differently. The next one, overprotection. Look, look being helicopter parents. Look, I, I've shared this before. I like to control things. I know this is a temptation of mine, is to be overprotective and over-controlling. And in the moment, it may not frustrate them. But as they get older, they will be discouraged and frustrated because if you are overprotective, and this is so hard for us as parents, sometimes you got to let your kids fail. You don't want to. You pray their failure doesn't ruin and derail the rest of their life. But sometimes you got to let them fail. Sometimes they got to figure it out on their own because the time is coming, Lord willing, they leave our home and they got to figure it out. And if on their own you made every decision for them, they will become discouraged and defeated because now they don't know how to do it. And so maybe they don't in the moment, but later you're setting them up to fail. The next one, unreasonable demands. Newsflash. Your kid's not perfect. Landon and Malachi are not perfect. They're pastor's kids. I get that. But they're just like your kids. Just because I'm a pastor makes them no different. They're not perfect. So if you want to frustrate them, expect them to be perfect. And they will never be able to live up. And you will discourage them because they can't meet that. Used to. There was a phrase, and some of you grew up in this. Children are to be seen and not heard. That is one of the most ridiculous ridiculous statements I've ever heard just picture this picture Jesus on the hillside inviting all the kids to come you think Jesus was saying to them hey kids be seen don't say a word you're just here for show I want everybody to think man Jesus loves kids no I'm sure they bantered I'm sure the kids asked questions they talked kids are going to be heard you know why because they're kids that's what kids do they talk. They have to learn when to be quiet and when to be respectful. And so if you put unreasonable demands upon them that they can't live up to, man, you're going to defeat them. Outrageous punishments. Man, I've, I've threatened. Like, you do that again, you're grounded for six months. Like, that's outrageous. One, he doesn't deserve it. And two, I'm not going to really ground him for six months. It's an empty threat. But when we do punish them, Right? It has to be consistent punishment. It needs to meet the crime. And the first time, right? maybe it's, hey, don't do it again. And if it's a pattern, then you have to increase the discipline. But if, we're, if it's outrageous, we, we hurt them. And then the last one is inconsistency. And we struggle with this. Like on Monday, you're having a good day, and your child does something. You're like, Johnny, you really shouldn't do that again. And then on Tuesday, they do the same thing, and you're yelling and screaming and slamming doors, and Johnny's like, what just happened? Like that's inconsistent, and it, it discourages them. So hear me. We must not parent in a way that breaks the spirit of our children. If we break their spirit then the most powerful motivation for obedience is gone. And the most powerful motivation for obedience is not fear. It is the desire to please their mom and dad. I don't want you following Jesus because you're terrified you're going to hell without him. That's true, but that fear will only last you so long. But once you get 
what you deserve and what God has done for you in Jesus, once you understand it's all by grace and he has transformed you, you go from a I have to do this to I want to do this. I want to please my father. And your children will go from I have to clean my room to hopefully eventually I want to clean my room because this honors my parents and I want them to be pleased. So we must not parent in a way that breaks the spirit of our children. Rather, and we're going to come back to this, but just giving you a glimpse, we seek to address the will of the child. We're ultimately after the heart. So command number two. The first one's in the negative. So okay, now what's the positive? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word bring them up simply means to nourish, to bring up, to raise them from an infant into maturity. You bring them up. In the discipline and instruction. Discipline means to train someone in accordance with proper rules of conduct and behavior. Ultimately, it's according to the Word of God. We want to bring them up in accordance with proper rules of conduct and behavior. And in this training, in this discipline, it means correcting them for wrongdoing. So, so children, youth, hear me. Discipline isn't fun for you or the parent. Your parents do not go into the room at night laughing like, man, that was great when we spanked Johnny today. Woo, we took Johnny's phone away. I can't wait, man, one week before he gets it back. That's not what we do. A father was spanking his little boy when he said, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And the boy responded, yeah, but not in the same place. Right? Discipline isn't fun for the child or for the parent. But hear me, students, youth, it is absolutely necessary when we as parents have to correct wrongdoing and behavior. And it's biblical. We're going to start, we're going to go through this quickly. We're going to start in, in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read about this. So just a couple verses, won't make comments. Encourage you to study this more. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Parents, we discipline because we love our kids. God disciplines us because he loves us. Chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And the verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. And man, in the moment, it sure is painful. That paddle that hung between my door and my brother's door, my brother got it more than I did. I just happened to be a good kid. I mean, what can I say, right? Um, but man, it's, it's, it hurts. Painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Several verses from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof, ESV says, is stupid. It is foolish to despise the discipline that we need. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs twenty-nine seventeen: Discipline your son, 
and He will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So we must provide discipline, but then we also balance that with instruction. To provide instruction as to correct behavior and belief. The Greek word literally means to put in mind. To put it into your mind. So as parents, as we instruct, we are literally taking the word of God and seeking to put it in the mind of our sons and daughters. Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Parents, the church, we seek to come alongside of you. But you are the primary disciple makers of your children. You are the one to be instructing them. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart. Let, you, let, your, eyes, let your eyes observe my ways. So it's not just teaching. But it's modeling for our sons and daughters what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so, look, we get in Ephesians, and all of these verses, you get one verse. One verse on parenting. You say, man, I wish Paul would have given us more. But here's what I want you to see. Paul has spent five chapters laying for you a foundation. The building blocks, if you will, so that you can be the father and the mother that he desires you to be. And he starts with Jesus Christ. The foundational building block in your life as a parent must be Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I went back too far. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. If I can get there. says... This, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you want to parent the way that God desires you to parent, you have to understand you can't do that apart from Jesus. It requires you to acknowledge you're a sinner, deserving of hell. That just like your children aren't perfect, you're not perfect. You've all fallen short. But you, through faith in Jesus, have come to be saved, born again, transformed. You are changed because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. But then he continues. The next building block is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. He talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. He talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he is not saying, hey, parents, good luck. Figure this out on your own. He says, no, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to indwell you and empower you and transform you so that you can live out, so that you're never having to do this alone, but you're doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he provides the next building block, which is the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. He said, Pastor, how can I be the father and the mother I need to be? Starts with Jesus. Once you give your life to Jesus, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then you must be committed to the local church of Jesus Christ. Listen, you cannot 
do this alone. And you don't have to. You're part of a Sunday school class? I guarantee you there's people in there who are in the same place that you are or who have been where you have been. There are people sitting in front of you or behind you, like, man, I got a 13-year-old I'm struggling with. You know what? They've been there. Hey, I'm a parent for the first time. You know what? They've been there. Hey, I'm struggling with my, my parents. They're, they're getting older. What do I do? Guess what? There are people in this room who are presently there. You're not alone. But hey, we can't make you be a part of this. We're not forcing you. But you've got to understand, if you want to be the parent God wants you to be, you must be committed all in to the body of Christ at Northside or wherever God leads you. But you can't do it alone. The next building block is a marriage. A strong marriage committed to one another who they're loving Jesus, they're seeking to follow Jesus, where the husband is leading and the wife is, is coming under the husband and supporting and encouraging and submitting, and you do this together, and your children see that you have a healthy marriage. doesn't mean you'll always agree. It doesn't mean you won't argue, but that they know mom and dad love each other, but more than that, they love Jesus, and they love me. And then you get to the parenting aspect. Everything else has to be built before you even get to the parenting. But then he also says this in Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction. Here's the key of the Lord. Of the Lord. This is all about being of the Lord, of Jesus Christ. So what's really going on, and earlier I talked about the will, is in your home, there's a battle of two wills. Whatever your child's age is, however old they are, what it, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. There's a battle of two wills. You have your child's will and you have God's will. What's missing? Parents, your will is missing. Sometimes what you have is the child's will, the parent's will, and then God's will. Parents, the reason your will is missing is because your will must be God's will. There shouldn't be your will is separate from God's will for your children. Your will, what you desire for your kids, must be God's will. And in your child's heart is their will, their wants, their desires, their needs, whatever they want to do, and then you have God saying, no, this is my will, this is my purpose, this is my plan. And parents, God gives you to your children you're standing in the gap, and you're trying to get their heart from what they want to ultimately what God wants for them. And here's the problem, and we're all guilty of this. Oftentimes, we discipline our kids because they disobey us, they disappoint us, or they embarrass us. And that's not why we ultimately discipline. Do they disobey us? Yes. Will your kids disappoint you? Yes. Do your kids sometimes embarrass you? Mm, yeah. Oh, you're embarrassing me. What are you doing? But that's not why we discipline. We ultimately discipline our kids. Hear me. Because they're disobeying God. That's why. It's not about them disobeying you. In their disobeying you, they are ultimately disobeying God. And our purpose in parenting is to get them to where they see I need God I want to love God I want to follow God and I want to obey God because here's what happens your children will begin sometimes 
Sometimes it's a little baby step. Sometimes they're just walking away to step out from under God's will and blessing for their life. Anytime they sin, they are not in the will or the blessing of God. And as parents, we're to try to correct them and discipline them to get them back under the will and the blessing of God. And there are times, everyone in this room, in which you and I step out from under the will and the blessing of God. We're doing our own thing, we're living in sin, and God sometimes will just gently, graciously nudge us, move us back to where we're under the will and the blessing of God. And sometimes we don't listen to that still small voice of God, and he's got to do something major in our circumstances to get us to hit rock bottom, to open our eyes so that we come back under the will and the blessing of God. So parents, last question. What is the goal of our discipline and our instruction? What is the goal of your rules and of the discipline when your children break those rules? The goal of our discipline and instruction is not just so that they obey authority. That's not why we discipline and do instruction. Do we want them to obey authority? Yes, but that's not ultimately why we do it. Why do we discipline? Why do we provide instruction? It's not so that they ultimately become upstanding citizens who vote and follow the rules. Do we want that for our kids? Shake your head this way. Yes, there's an election coming up soon. You need to go vote. Right? It matters. We want that for them. Is the purpose of our discipline and our instruction so that they grow into mature manhood and womanhood? Yes, wonderful. We want that. We want them to move out of the home, to have a life, to be mature, to work hard, to have a family. Yes, but that is not our goal. Our goal, why we discipline and why we provide instruction is so that one day your sons and your daughters will come to know Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, and obey Jesus. That's what matters. Because hear me, they can be an upstanding citizen, vote the way that we think they should vote, still die in their sins, go to hell, and spend eternity from God. They can be a, a great husband, a great father, a wonderful employer, still die in their sins, go to hell, spend eternity away from Jesus. They can never get a speeding ticket, never go to jail, just dress nicely and still go to hell. Your job as parents is to point them to Jesus so that one day they'll see their need for Jesus so they won't die and spend eternity in hell. But it's not enough, parents, just to instruct them in that, but to model that for them. But hear me, you can teach them and model that for them. And there is no guarantee that your sons and daughters will ever believe and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That doesn't mean you give up. That doesn't mean you stop praying or you stop instructing or you stop disciplining because you want them, you desire for them to come to know Jesus. Let me close this way. It's Ephesians chapter 4, it's verse 20 and 21. This is the word of the Lord, but that, Paul says, is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And that should be our goal. Why we instruct and why we discipline is so that they know there is a God who loves them, who sent Jesus to die for them. We instruct them in the truth. They have learned about Jesus, and our prayer is 
at some point they give their life to Jesus. So parents, every single one of us in here, we have failed. We have failed horribly at times. People maybe have seen our failures, but there is grace, there is mercy, and there is hope. And maybe right now, as a parent, you feel like a failure. There is grace, there is mercy, there is hope. God's grace is sufficient in your weakness. So moms and dads, keep pointing your children to Jesus. Don't abandon that responsibility. Don't turn that over to the world. Don't turn it over to the church. That's you. It's your responsibility. Keep doing it. Be faithful and hear me. You are not alone. You're not alone. I pray you have a spouse that's willing to fight right there with you. But I want you to understand you have a church that is willing to help you. You have a Savior who died for you. And you have the Holy Spirit of God who indwells you. And you have the Word of God that will guide you in every way that you need to go. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads. Listen, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. Look, I get when you preach through books of the Bible, you come to maybe verses of Scripture like children obey your parents or don't provoke your children. And you're like, well, that message really wasn't necessarily for me. Look, I understand that. And if you say this message it really wasn't for you, then I pray right now you're just in a spirit of prayer. That you'll say, hey, look, I'm not in the active years of rearing children, but man, I can sure lift up my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll be faithful to pray for them. I'll be faithful to encourage them. And when they ask me, I'll be faithful to share honestly my successes, which is all to the glory of God, and my failures, which thankfully the Spirit of God and the grace of God can forgive and cover and cleanse. So the message this morning really is geared for you as, as parents. Maybe you're trying to parent and you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Pointing people to Jesus, you don't even know Jesus. You've never trusted in Jesus. You've never been forgiven of your sins, never cleansed of your sins. Talking about your children dying and go to hell, that's, you would say, that's where I am, Pastor. I'm, I don't know Jesus. And there is, there's salvation for you right now if you would simply just cry out, Lord God, I'm a sinner. Save me. I've rebelled against you. I've disobeyed you. I deserve hell. But God, there is grace. But God, save me of my sin. Forgive me of my sins. Deliver me from my sins. And help me to love you and to follow you. Parents, if you're struggling, we just encourage you just to come and pray. Even if you're not struggling and you just want to take your spouse by the hand and you just want to come and kneel and pray for your kids. I don't know why. But sometimes in the church, we believe as Christians, we have to put this picture before other brothers and sisters in Christ that we got everything figured out. We're not willing to admit where we're struggling. We're not willing to confess our weaknesses. But hear me, you're not fooling anybody. I mean, your own pastor doesn't have all this figured out. We can't expect you to have this figured out. So maybe during this last song that we're going to do, if you just want to take your you know, spouse by the hand and say, hey, we're going to go pray for our kids. We're going to we're going to pray for forgiveness. We're going to pray for mercy. And then I don't know what you've got to do from here. Maybe there's a phone call you have to make, a, a confession. Maybe you have to seek an apology. Maybe there's some things that you've got to begin to change in your life. Hear me, you're not alone in that. The Spirit of God will lead you. Just listen to Him. Follow Him. Be obedient to Him. Father, You have given us the gift of children. 
This church, God, this morning was filled with children. We, we rejoice in that. We praise you for that. And God, there's parents in this room who need your strength. God, I need your strength. I need your help. I need wisdom. And they need wisdom and strength. And God, right now, if we just ask for that wisdom, you'll give it. If we just ask for help, you'll provide it. Lord, there, there's, there's nothing wrong, God, by coming and just praying and saying, hey, we love our kids, we're going to pray for our kids. And maybe grabbing them by the hand and saying, hey, we want to pray with you if they're, if they're sitting next to us. But God, just lead us. As we sing this song, may we just respond in a way of gratitude, of humility, of confession and repentance, if necessary, for your glory and your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're just going to worship together. The altar is open. You can pray where you are, but you can also pray up front if the Lord leads you. Let's sing together. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. Who, oh their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. And you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone from the grave you came down to find us let us out of death to you alone belongs the highest praise and you oh Lord have made a way the grave far away your love went further still yes your love goes further still and you alone can rescue you alone can save you alone can lift us from the grave and you came to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. 
We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. Oh, we lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. We lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. You're the giver of life. And you alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Amen, amen. You may be seated for just a couple moments. We have several announcements that I want to draw your attention to. So next Sunday, during Sunday school, we have a new members class. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall. I know we got a lot going on next week, but we'll meet in the fellowship hall. We will try to start the teaching by about 9.25 or so. So we'll have some food for you. If you have joined recently and not been through the class or you're thinking, praying, just seeking the Lord on whether Northside where he is leading you, we usually offer this class once every six months uh, just because the, the numbers really I don't warrant offering it more often. So if you're thinking about it, I just want to encourage you to come. You'll hear more about the church. You're not committing to join by coming, but you can at least hear. So sign up, please, for that um, in the fellowship hall. Also, if you didn't notice on your way in, you'll see it on the way out, we have our shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. They are out there. So go ahead and pick up one or ten of those Fill them, and they are due back by November 13th. Well, you got a realm message and a remind message about signing up to go to the center to process boxes. That will be in the bulletin next week, um, but go ahead and sign up for that um, if you can. You still got one more Sunday to bring your green beans, um, so I encourage you to do that. The chili cook-off, fall festival, there's still some areas that we need so you can sign up for that we have a baby shower honoring Lindsay Playford that information is in there you're invited to that just please if you plan on coming RSVP it's the courteous nice thing to do so go ahead and do that if you plan on um, going two more things uh, number one the youth went this past Wednesday to the pregnancy center they were able to get quite a bit done uh, they had a, a great team there to do the work and we took quite a bit of stuff to the Pregnancy Center. So thank you for your faithfulness uh, to minister in that area. And then just one last word, you do see the announcement um, about our lunch next week for uh, pastor staff appreciation. Man, I just want to echo again my gratitude for the staff here uh, at Northside. God has blessed us from Curtis and Ann to Miss Kim, uh, who is back from Colorado, had a great trip out there loving on the grandbaby, to Melinda, and then to Pastor Gary and his family. Um, God has been good, and I hope you are thankful and grateful for them and the leadership that they provide our church, and that you will stick around next Sunday to honor and celebrate them um, and, and give thanks to them. All right, Ron is the deacon of the week, so he's going to come, and he's going to pray. If you'll stand, let me just encourage you to come back tonight. If you don't know about our Sunday nights, make sure you talk to me or ask somebody else 
We have a lot that takes place on Sunday nights, from a Bible study to our adults to things with kids um, and youth, and so it's a great time, so be here for that. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us today to come to your house, to be a part of your family, to spend time with our family. Thank you for a pastor that'll look at the word and tell us exactly where we are. Thank you for the fact that we don't have to do this alone. Parenting is difficult. Being a Christian is difficult. Living life is difficult. We get older, it's difficult. But we're never alone. You've said you'd never leave us or forsake us. That, lo, you'd be with us always, even to the end of the age. So, Father, thank you for being our God and for loving us. Thank you for reminding us that you're the basis of everything we do, everything we believe, and everything that will ever happen in our lives. Thank you for the opportunities that you give us to work in, in your work here in this place. So Father, if there's one person here today who doesn't know you, let today be the day of salvation. Our pastor will be at the door. There's people here that'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. But without Jesus, we're nothing. We're lost. But with him, we're everything that we'll ever be. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.